Blog Talk Radio. What's going on, Modern Nation? We're live with another episode of the Rush Podcast. I'm Anthony Salome, joined with joined by Alex Nicholas. The always always late, but always, always on time. late, but always on time. Right on time, actually. We got another big show planned for y'all tonight. We're gonna be talking some UTEP and Conference USA sports, of course. UTEP basketball, UTEP football. Going to be joined by UTEP tight end MJ McFarland tonight. Going to get a little insight on him on on uh, what he's expecting out of his big senior year coming up. And uh, going to dabble a little bit into that bubble picture, man. I mean, we've talked a lot about it on the site. Conference USA projected by most to be a one-bid league, um, and that's kind of the way it's been for the last few years. But dare I say this is a soft bubble, and we might have some teams, you know, kind of jump into that picture. Two come. teams? Really? Could be. Could be. I'm saying I'll jump into the conversation. I'm not saying we're a definite two-bid league, but, you know, there's a, a few teams that could make a run and, and could jump into that conversation uh, come second week of March. So got a good show planned for y'all. Let's get right into it. We're going to be talking some – UTEP football to start things off and um, talk about it, man. We got some some roster changes that we didn't get to last week, happened late last week. Um, well, the funny thing about it is, right, when I'm thinking I'm Mr. Cool, hot shit, whatever, go in and update the roster, <laughs> the great Denise Mata over at UTEP Athletics goes up there and updates it for us and gives us up-to-date information, which is beautiful. Um, and on it, the, the biggest thing, I mean, there's two big things that jumped out to me. Um, and we'll obviously get to both, but the the number one thing that jumped out to me was uh, the BYU transfer Trent Trammell, um, who I mean, man, you got you got to feel for this kid, man. He had two great years at the City College of San Francisco, put up just some great great numbers there. Let him it was part of a twenty two uh, twenty two and two run during his two JUCO years, five interceptions. Led the JUCO led the led the Ju, all JUCO players with uh, in his freshman year with pass breakups. Gets recruited uh, by, you know, pretty much every regional school around here. Um, signs with BYU. UTEP was a big part in his recruiting coming out of JUCO in 2012. Goes signs with BYU. First spring ball of his transfer year. Chairs his ACL. Has to sit out the year. You know, that's in itself is tough. This is a guy that I think reading some of their blogs, reading some of their message boards, that they felt he could come in and help them in the secondary right away. Missed out his year. Last year is an enigma. Last year is a big enigma with this guy because he didn't appear on any um, stats, any participation list. Um, and so now he finds himself here, which I'm thinking, I was talking to a couple people on Minor Rush, I'm thinking he's a candidate for a sixth year. Um, but regardless of what, whatever his situation is, a six foot, 200 pound quarterback that has proven, you know, at the JUCO level, but he hasn't played in a couple of years. But either way, I think this is a great pickup for a secondary that's going to need immediate help, and I wouldn't put it past to see maybe another transfer um, come the fall. You know, we saw a couple of transfers pop up in the fall um, last year in the first day of spring or first day of fall camp, so really good pick of a guy that has size, has production, has good feet, um, very physical, um, but the only, I guess, knock, you know, not to bring the kid down, he's still a Division One athlete, but, you know, he hasn't played in a couple of years, but he's going to get to play next year, no doubt about it, with so many young guys in that secondary um, you know, I think we talked, we touched on it last week, four redshirt freshmen that are going to be integrated into the secondary, and they're going to play, no doubt about it. They're going to need those bodies, so Trammell's going to add that um, factor in with the experience of being around college football, being around a good program. And then the other thing that jumped up my mind was Cameron Candelaria yeah. um, from Franklin. The quarterback is on there. Um, you know, this is a guy that coming out of, of – of high school was really, really highly touted. And then had, a, uh, an, uh, again, just like, you know, it seems to happen more often than not, these knee injuries, these devastating injuries. But this is a kid that fits the UTEP offense. He fits that mold, and he's going to bring great competition to this quarterback competition that obviously we're going to touch on a little more in the next coming weeks with spring ball starting. But, I mean, how do you see – what do you think about this Trammell kid? I really think that he can make a, a an immediate impact as far as just being a, a proven commodity, I guess you can say. But say yeah, I mean, he's he's proven at the JUCO level, which is obviously big. And uh, transferring to the USA school, I think that would definitely bode well. I think he'll be able to come in and make an immediate impact, especially when you talk about his size and his athletic ability. I mean, six foot, two hundred pounds. That's a, that's a real nice size corner. Um, but I'm I'm kind of leery to to kind of just jump out there and, and think that he's going to be, you know. The the star the out it's going to be very, very tough for him to do that, considering Definitely. the injuries that he sustained throughout his career. And we, and like you said, you know, last year was kind of an enigma with BYU. We didn't really know anything about him. We didn't really see much on him. So 
kind of hard to, to judge him on that. Uh, but I do think he bolsters the depth of the of the secondary. And again, with his size, you can't you can't complain. I mean, the guy's got athletic ability. He should come in here and compete for a starting job. And and it, you know that's all you can ask for, especially when you're running that four two five. You need those that ex, those extra DBs, you know. So so that's definitely a huge boost to the secondary. Um, you know, when you when you move over to talk about Candelaria, it, it's that's a tough situation right there because he was a guy that that did have some Division One FBS attention coming out of high school, had the injury and went to uh, Mesa. What was it? Uh, Mesa Community or Mesa, you know Colorado Mesa University. So um, he's got the he he doesn't seem like he fits the style of offense that UTEP has, I guess you could say, but he's definitely a guy that has a year of JUCO experience that could come in and, and, and kind of just, you know, make more of a competition in spring ball. I guess, is he already on campus? Is he be I, would, I, yeah, I think he Spring into summer, whatever it might be, but just kind of push these other guys that we expect to be on top of the depth chart. You know, they, there's another guy back there to look out for. When you talk about what he did at the high school level, throwing for over 4,000 yards, 55 touchdowns, and just seven interceptions. He's got good size at 6'3". It's not huge, but he's got good size, uh, 210 pounds. So he's a guy that's going to come in and be able to, to at least make the others think about, you know, hey, there's another guy here that could potentially make some moves here in offseason ball and, and be a candidate to start next season. So, you know, I don't know that he actually will be, you know, in that conversation, but he's going to make other guys work that much harder. I agree. And I think also, too, he brings in that athleticism, the guy that ran for 400 yards in each of his two starting varsity years. So he kind of brings that element where, you know, of course he has an injury, but it's an element of surprise. Where you know, yeah, in, in one knock, and, and there were some people, um, I think on Diggs or, or the Kyle's Den, where they were saying about his passing, where he kind of you know tries to squeeze it in, in, in into these short windows, and, and that could be something that could be corrected with some experience at this level. But those are some you know things that you're gonna have to look for this kid. But I agree with you, I mean, this is a guy that you can't expect to come in here and and, and you know, maybe he does wow the coaches, you know, but he has that athletic ability, but no doubt about it that he's gonna bring the athletic ability and, and that competition factor to the quarterback position. And one thing also another kind of I, this is kind of big. I don't even know why this isn't the number one thing. You know, looking at the roster, we were we were uh, one of the questions that we were asking each other was how many of these kids from the class of 2015 are going to get gray shirts? Yeah. Well, looking at this roster here, it looks like only Brad Zaffram may be that only one because you've got guys like Kalon Beverly, um, you know, uh, like the running back uh, Tyrone Nelson, uh, Foster Dixon, guys that I thought were maybe kind of tweeners on there, but they're on the roster, meaning they're probably going to redshirt. But a guy like Kalon Beverly, how you're talking about the secondary, that could be a guy that we can see as a true freshman a la – uh, Devin Cockrell, a la uh, De uh, Deshaun Smith. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting to see that demographic. Well, we're not going to see very many gray shirts. And, and on the flip side of that, the 2014 gray shirts, um, we see uh, the kid from the kid from Montwood, Warren Reddix, is on the roster. Stephen Forrester, the kid from the Dallas area, very highly touted as a defensive lineman. Looks like he might be a hybrid uh, defensive lineman, linebacker. They list him as a linebacker. And then you have... Um, the other wrench, the other gray shirt from last year. Um, why is it not coming to me right now? Sorry, guys. Um, it's been sick as hell the past couple of days. So no, but still... I mean, you, you bring up a good point about you know we really thought that there would be a handful of guys that come in and gray shirt. Trayvon Hughes. Trayvon Hughes. Yeah, 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 yeah Trayvon Hughes. You, you, you know, you really did think that there would be a handful of guys, and it's kind of not turning out to nope. be that way. Um, but you see some of these roster moves, and you see guys switching positions. In fact, uh, who was it that I was just um, – Stephen Forrester. Right, right. He was he was listed as a defensive end. Now he's going to come help and boost that linebacker's uh, position, which I think is one area on the defense. I mean, we've got some young guys and some and some uh, some proven guys on the defensive line. We've got some guys in the secondary. So I think that linebacker spot is where we really need that depth because we've got a couple guys that are that are looking to fill in to start. But I don't know about that depth. And so true, having a couple guys true. come and fill in behind uh, some of our aces, are, it, it, it's nice to see that you you can move a guy. From that end spot back to the linebacker position, and because they recruited defensive line so damn hard yeah. the past couple of seasons, where you're gonna have in your, on your two deep, you're gonna have at least two or three redshirt freshmen. You're talking about guys like Luke Elsner, uh, Joseph Kramer, just off the top of my head, Augie Torres, 
Um, those guys are in a boost of depth there. So you, that's when when he talks about, oh, we're going to get ten linemen all year, because you can recruit those hybrid type of guys. Those just like Forrester, I think he was what six one two thirty five. Ten of those hybrid guys were. If you boost them up, or, or not boost them up, but if you regulate them to a defensive line, you can put those pounds on them. But if you're a six one two thirty five guy, you can lean him up, or you know you're a tweener, you can go either way, and that's really really big. What I've noticed on this recruiting trail, and, and I can't even believe I forgot about a guy like Trayvon Hughes, who was going to bolster that deep, that running. I mean, we're losing Nathan Jeffrey and Josh Bell, who Josh Bell was never a thousand yard rusher, but he did all the little things right in the offense last he's year. He's going to get you a yard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's going to get you get, Yes, damn right. And and I think Trayvon Hughes is a guy that has way more athletic ability. No knock on Josh whatsoever, but this is a guy that was highly regarded. Three star, it you know obviously not never to bring down a kid, but obviously Trayvon Hughes had some t- sort of grade issue, whatever it is, to get eligible. Why he gray shirt and maybe why some teams backed away. I think he even had an offer from like Illinois or something like that. You know, some type some Big Ten school. So that right there, a lot of these guys that you're seeing that we would figure, well, maybe they're not going to be in the mix this year. They're going to be in it, and I think a guy like Kalon Beverly is a guy that's going to step up and really turn some heads because. They're going to need some depth at corner. There's not very much depth there at corner. You add in a guy like Trammell who adds depth, but what do you what do you, you don't know what we're getting. So, you know, some interesting moves, and, 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 and I can't you know, wait for spring ball. Kalon Beverly, we talked about him last or the week before. You know, we actually talked to him, and we're very impressed with his uh, his composure, his confidence. Uh, he, he's a guy that, that we thought highly of before we even spoke to him and in, in his athletic ability, but – yeah. No matter how you slice it, man, it's tough to come in and play uh, as a freshman, especially at a position like corner. Um, in your first game at Texas Tech. <laughs> in your first three games away from home. And, I mean, obviously you're going to be tested right away. You know, that's a, that's a plus if you want to look at it that way, silver lining. But that's that's a, re- a real tough route to go. But, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him jump into that rotation because we're going to need the depth like you're talking about. So, That'll be interesting to see, and it'll be interesting to see exactly how these other freshmen uh, wind up performing. And really what it all comes down to is how they perform in the offseason, in spring ball, in summer, heading into fall. I mean, that's where, the, that's where the coaching staff will really find out what they've got in these guys because one thing is film and high school. Another thing is actually putting it together at the D1 level. So we'll see what we got here in the offseason, and, and it'll be, it'll be uh one hell of a hell of a ride. It's going to be one hell of a spring. It's going to be a competitive spring. I mean that. I, I'm. We'll, we'll get in. We're going to have a whole breakdown of spring ball next Wednesday for y'all. But I mean, there's just so much up in the air. But not, not. And it's not like the cupboard isn't full. There's so many guys that we've seen be productive in, in certain situations, in certain packages, and now a lot of these guys are going to be full time players. You know, they're going to have to build debt behind them now. So the program's always evolving, and we're seeing these early two recruiting classes for Sean Cooler are going to be thrown into the fire real, real early. And it's really exciting to see. And, uh, you know, I, I like the I like the way it's built, you know, because it, it, it's a program. A lot of the, We talked about it. A lot of these guys coming from winning programs. You got Kavika Johnson, all these guys that are winners, proven winners. And, you know, it just makes for competitive practices, competitive Film session is just competitive, and that's what Sean Cougar wants. He talked about it all the time. Isaac Hamilton just came on TV. Hold up, why throw up? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> no, but you know what, man? Switching back over to that linebacker position, that's that's for me where where this defense is going to be. Uh, you know, if you want to call it make it or break it, made or broken, whatever. But um, guys like Jimmy Musgrave, Alvin Jones, seeing how they how they transition into this year, you know, coming off of a very successful season. Very, very um, successful season. And I think a lot is going to be expected of those two guys. Even Trey, can't forget about Trey Brown either. Yeah, Trey, Trey Brown as well. They're going to have a lot. They're going to have, I wouldn't say pressure, but yeah, I mean, you're on it. A lot is expected of them. And so, and, and that's where I think the thinnest group is as far as been proven, I guess you could say. Right. Um, so, so again, it, it's all going to come down to, to spring and fall, and it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Guys behind them to look out for a freshman, Justin Tatum, guy that redshirted last year with some 130 tackles in, in, on his high school his senior year. Yep. Um, you know that that guy right there is a, is a guy that really, really I really feel can can make an immediate impact. 
Um, you know, that's it's going to be huge to see there. And also a guy like Steven Forster, who's just really physical. And that's what Cougar wants. He wants his linebackers to be those headhunters. And if he develops into that one, him and Brad Zaffram for the future, well, we've seen film on Zaffram. And I really think that we talked about how you talked earlier about how, you know, the high school and the film and, and all that we see. I think his film can transfer over. You know, of course, we got to wait till next January. But, you know, definitely that that's, that's a good point. And we're going to get deeper and deeper into the spring and deeper into the jet chart next week as spring ball starts March 3rd. And the guys will go Monday, Wednesday, Friday for about three or four weeks, take a week off for spring break during that time. And then the uh, spring game, April 10th, Friday, April 10th, the Sumble at 7 o'clock, uh, Damn, El Paso Chihuahuas had to have a game on that Friday, but everybody, uh, they got you got them for the whole summer. Come on, see the minus, man. I, I, I really want to see that the spring game evolve into like a, a consistent ten thousand, you know, five to ten thousand. Even no, though, even though that's hard to ask, but that's really what I want to see out of the UTEP spring ball coming up here in the next couple of years of Cougar. No doubt about it. Big night in college sports, man. North Carolina Duke going on right now. Uh, Duke's Duke's taking it to him early on though. Nah, you. You know that game's going to come. It's going to come down. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Carolina going to make a run. Market stage may take over at a point. It's going to be fun, man. Let's, let's talk a little more football right now as we're joined by UTEP tight end MJ McFarlane. MJ, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well. How are you? All right, man. Thanks for coming on with us, taking some time. Tell us a little bit about how it feels back to be, you know, back home in El Paso. And you've had a little time to, to get on campus now and meet your new teammates, coaching staff. How's it all going for you? It's all been great. It was a smooth process. You know, it helped that I'm from here, so I know my way around. I'm kind of familiar with the, the campus and the university and some of the some of the people. It's actually neat that um, I get to play with some of the guys I went against in high school here in town. So, and the whole process of uh, transferring stuff is UTEP has, has actually like made it real smooth and easy for me. And I'm greatly appreciated. Tell us a little bit about your recruiting process. You've now gone, in a sense, you've gone through it twice. What are the main the main differences between uh, being recruited like a, by a program like Texas and a program like UTEP? Um, I guess the biggest thing, I guess, you know, everybody's attracted to schools like Texas and stuff, and they all want to play for them. And uh, and I had a great experience. Uh, I mean, I met some great people who have impacted my life, and I got some lifelong friends, and uh, and I don't regret it one bit. It was just um, I just felt like in my heart it was time to move on and and um, try to fulfill my dream, and that's playing at the next level. And I felt like uh, UTEP was probably the best fit for me, especially with um, Coach Kugler, his experience in the NFL, and just picking his brain and asking, like, getting the info about him and just trying to figure out what's the best way, what I need to do as a player to get where I'm trying to go, and I know he can help me do that. MJ, um, you know, we talked about this last week on our podcast, how it seems like the El Paso, El Paso's getting recruited more. I think this year may have even broke a record, you know, with El Paso kids signing Division One. You know, you coming out, you're probably one of the most highly touted kids, highly raised kids to come out of El Paso. Are you, from an outside perspective, even though you're at Texas, do you see maybe kind of a change in the coaching, or what is it that's getting these El Paso kids more on the map compared to, say, when you were in high school? I'm a couple years younger than you, even back going a little further than that. Um, I think it's the exposure and the um, and the idea that guys can make it out of El Paso, you know, can play at the next level, and I think it, it drives the athletes here to actually, like, work harder and do more and and just know and, like, believe in themselves that they can play anywhere else in the country if they put their mind to it. And um, uh, just from, a, I guess, from the outside looking in, I see, I mean, with my teammates and stuff, I see a lot of great guys, a lot of great athletes that, you know, that can actually help help UTEP and help this program get a turnaround and uh, just do their part, you know, because Coach Cougar has a great thing going. You know, I really like the guy. I like the whole staff, and and I'm blessed to be a part of it. 
one more season coming up for you, and the Miners are coming off a, a big 7-5 and five season, great turnaround from the year before. Uh, how do you see this playing out for you as far as how you fit into the offense? I mean, I know you've had a little bit of, of a chance to see the, to the type of offense that, that the Miners ran a year ago. How do you see yourself fitting into that? Oh, I think I'm going to fit in uh, quite well, you know. I have, um, I have abilities to play uh, – Tight end. I've been playing that for four years, but before that, I was a wide receiver all my life. So I have, a, I guess, the best of both worlds. I can play tight end. I can play in the slot. I can play out wide. And I just think after I proved it, like proved to the team and, and my coaches that I can do that, I feel like they'll give me the chance to do that. You know, and I feel like I'll fit right in and um, be an impact player or a contributor for the for the minus. The big question coming into spring and into the fall is going to be talked about so much around here is the quarterback situation. Obviously, you haven't gone down there to throw passes yet with any guys in a in a team practice setting, but is there a group of guys that is here now that you're thinking, you know, this guy has what it takes to, to, to lead this team to get back to where they were at last year, or is it still kind of too early to tell, um, you know, kind of figure out who's going to be who? Actually, I, I throw with the guys probably twice a week, all three of them. I'll three of the top uh, scholarship guys. And honestly, it's going to be a tough decision because I like all of them. You know, they all have nice balls. So uh, overseas, I'm going to have a, um, you know, a challenge trying to figure out who's the best for the team because I know each of them is going to give their all, trying to be a starting guy, you know. And whoever gets it, you know, I wish him the best of luck because he has two other guys right behind him just ready to take his spot. So. It's going to be a great uh, spring ball in two days for whoever fills that role. Competition, competition. Cougars going to pitch that all day to y'all. Um, just kind of a fun question here. What's what's one of the one things? I mean, you're an El Paso kid. I know you love El Paso, but Austin is such a vibrant, live town. What's one of the main things you're going to miss about kind of just being an Austin Austinite, living in Austin? Oh yeah, Austin man. Uh, I would recommend anyone to go to Austin. You know, I had a great time. I had a, you know, I had a blast, you know, going out. I mean, there's so much to do there. And, uh, you know, I just have had a lot of fun over my four years there. You know, I got my degree. I took care of my business on, on and off the field. And, the, you know, I'm just, I'll miss it. But um, I just had to look at the big picture. That makes sense. And that's uh being a contributor to the offense and doing whatever I can to um, help my team, help my help me accomplish my dreams. Sorry, sir. My, my partner here always gives me a hard time because I shout out to Austin for every podcast. So <laughs> that's, that's only some good words in there. MJ McFarland, thank you for your time, man. We look forward to covering you this year. And uh, good luck, man, through spring ball, through up to the season. And we'll talk to you soon, man. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. There you have it. That was MJ McFarland, new UTEP tight end. I like how he talks about, you know, he's just ready to to basically do whatever it takes to get it done on the field. As far as I, you know, he talked about, you know, I can play tight end. I played wide receiver in high school. I can split it out. I can I can catch the ball. I can block. I can do whatever needs to be done. So you got to like that about him. And you know, Kugler being an offensive line coach, I know tight end's kind of obviously it's it's a com- combination of positions really. You're kind of an offensive lineman. You're kind of a receiver. But, you know, with Cougar's skill set as far as a coach, coming from the NFL, being an, an offensive line coach, I think he's definitely the guy that can that can help MJ get to the next level. No doubt about and, it. And I think that's that was probably huge in, in his thought process. I mean, obviously, it's a big part of it is coming back home. If you, if you decide to leave Texas and whatever happened out there, you know, we're not really too sure why he decided to leave exactly. But when you start thinking about where you're going, I mean, not only are you coming back home, but you're coming back home to a coach that is proven, uh, that has proven at the NFL level that he knows how to, I guess, coach and develop linemen. And so so if you want to make it to that level, I mean, what better coach can you come back and play for? And I think also on that, I think they're going to move him around a lot. I think this guy is going to be a big-time weapon in the passing game. You know, he has that ability around to, to change the game in the red zone and to make teams aware. But I think he can stretch that out 
outside of the red zone. And I think you, you can provide that extra dimension that no we doubt were about crying it. and bitching about. No doubt about it. And I think that's really your your beautiful point, beautiful point, beautiful point about the blocking. But I think more he's a toy in the passing game I for Cougar. Agree. And, and I cannot wait to see how he develops the chemistry with one of these quarterbacks, like he says. I mean, there's so there's going to be so many so much competition between you know the three headers, whoever you know the three guys in front. But I really think he's going to bring just a great wrinkle with the other weapons that he has in the backfield and the developing receivers that he's going to come along. With. I mean, you just talk about. You get, you know, you mentioned the red zone goal line packages or whatever it might be. I mean, maybe not goal line, but in the red zone and and having a guy like Aaron Jones in the backfield, and then you got a guy like MJ McFarland who's got great size, you know, is a proven blocker. But then you take him out and you flex him out. Tough matchup for that's Steelers a tough team. matchup for anybody, you know, anybody. And and I mean. Even if you don't pass to him, just the simple fact that the simple fact that you have to that defense has to now worry about you like as a receiver. Like the Golden exactly, exactly, and that defense has to kind of just open up just a little bit, spread it out just a little bit, and if anything, opens up some more holes for Aaron Jones to run through. So I mean, he's going to be a real asset to this offense, and and I and I love the fact that we were able to to lure him back home. Um, you know. I think the biggest thing right now, though, man, it, it's hard talking about football, bro. Because it's, it's so hard talking about football, man. And and, I, and we're sitting here, we're watching Duke, and you know, we're watching you know one of the biggest rivalries in college basketball. I'm flipping for, back and forth. There's another good game on right now, Oklahoma State, you know, and, and Iowa State. You got a couple of top 25 matches, and and you, and we're over here talking football. Like it's tough, man. It it just doesn't feel right. Pitchers and catchers report tomorrow. Post. <sighs> Post NBA All Star Game. I mean, we're great football diehards, but this yeah. is just some juice. Let's some switch juice it up, right man. Now. Let's switch it up. Let's switch it up. Let's talk some UTEP basketball. Uh, I think this is what everybody wants to hear about anyway. But the Miners have now strung together six in a row, man. Which is what we talked about. We've been saying it every every uh, the last three weeks. You know, I guess it's been four weeks now that we talked about after those two terrible losses that they suffered. You know, we started talking about all right. You got a home stretch now. If you can, if you can just string some together heading into that La Tech game, and they won the first two, and we said, all right, all right, first two are down, you know, and then we got the next two. Okay, now we're at four, and now here we are with one more home game to go. You've got six in a row now with a game against UTSA uh, coming up, which UTSA again. We'll get into. We'll it. get into that, but another game that the Miners should win should move it to seven in a row. And have a real opportunity, like we mentioned at the start of the show, to possibly, possibly be one of those teams that could get back into that bubble conversation. And I think, you know, the the, the best thing about what you're saying is I think without getting too far ahead, I think the leaders of this team are starting to figure that out. And to me, that's the most important thing. I mean, it, you know, you don't want to get too ahead. Maybe the guys talk about it amongst themselves, about, you know, maybe getting back on that bubble picture. But I think the fact is of how they understood to get on this role. You're seeing leaders emerge. You're seeing guys emerge their games to different levels that we haven't seen before. Hooper <laughs> You know, so it's just little bits and pieces where it's been beautiful to watch. I talked to you about it on the old Dominion game, how beautiful that defensive performance was to just watch, to watch a guy – like Julian Washburn, who we all know can do it. We all know. What kills me, what kills me, sorry to interrupt you, but what kills me is that that's the defense that we've been used to under Floyd for four years now. Exactly. Why has, where did that go for the first 20 games? It, it, it was a man-to-man, because they didn't do nothing special. They went to a triangle and two for a couple stretches, but it was basic man to, that man-to-man defense has just improved. So much, and I think it's just an effort thing because, you, like you said, we know it's been there. Even a guy like CJ, who's played pretty decent defense, has took his his level of defense up this year. You know, it's it, it's really just that passion, it's that energy. That's what they're bringing. We saw it that first half of that FIU game. We're all talking about it on the thread. How beautiful that was to see. We're seeing that now. We're seeing that now. This team, I've been saying it every damn radio show I've gone on from Timbuktu to. Rustin, whoever I've talked to about it, defense gets this team going. And we saw that early on against the first couple possessions for Old Dominion. I mean, that should have said, oh, that should have said Jeff Jones, oh, shit, I, you know, I got to – these guys came to play. Yeah. And it's just that. It's just coming to play. It's not schematics. You know, they ran – like I said, they ran a triangle two for a while. You know, they, they – I don't need – I, I want to say they 
they ran about a one three one for a little stretch, but it was basic man to man, guys moving their feet, guys contesting shots and not fouling. And it was great because as many shots they contested, I think Utah only had five or six fouls the whole game. And they were being the aggressor and getting on the flip side of the offensive side, they were being the aggressor and getting all the minion into foul trouble. And it's just it's all coming together full circle. And like you said, it's where was this a while back, but I'm going to say, I'm going to take the flip side and say better late than never, bro. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's very true. And, and what's the first thing that you talked about was seeing guys come into their own. Uh, we, we've had, I think we, we almost relied too much on Hunter. <clears throat> Way too much. Into the middle of the season. I mean, not that he can't do it, as that's a sick block. <laughs> he just pinned his ass against the backboard. But, you know, not that he can't do it, but these last couple of games, we haven't exactly seen those those types of games where we need 15 to 20 points from him, you know? You talked about the Old Dominion game. For most of the game, he was held to like three or five points. They did a number. I give him Old Dominion credit. They were really concerned with him. He, he ended the night with just seven points but nine rebounds. So, I mean, it's a nice stat line. That's the hell but, out but of the But the point is, other guys can pick up the slack. You know, Cedric, another consistent performance from him, eight points, eight rebounds. You talk about Julian coming through, who still needs to get – I know he's starting to find it a little bit. He's finding himself defensively again. But we need him to come through consistently on the offensive end. But 15 from him, 15 from Urban. Urban, the only thing I'd like to say about that, though, is we need Urban to be a little more efficient. Way more efficient. You know, that that's the only thing with Urban. For a second there, he became our truest scorer, our purest shooter. You know, in this last game, he's 4 of 12, 1 of 7 from three-point range. You know, we need him to make more shots. It's not about 15 points. You know, I, I can handle him scoring. If he scores 15, great. But I'm saying I can handle him scoring 10, 8 to 10, if he's making three or four threes. And he's taking three, a little bit three, less Whatever shots. it might be. And, and – Four of 12 is a little much for me. I'd like to see Vince get those touches maybe, you know, because Vince, I think you give him 12 attempts, he's probably going to get, you know, we talked about it, on, uh, you know, earlier in the week where if, if we move those touches over to Vince, some of those attempts don't even show up in the scorebook because he's probably getting to the line a lot more than oh, he yeah. did. But, you know, again, you see these guys coming around. You see a lot of these guys contributing. C.J. Cooper, man, this last stretch, three, four, five games, whatever it's been, He's been the difference, you know, and, and we need him to continue to play like that. Omega's kind of – he's still doing well, but he's a freshman, and you're seeing that now. You know, early on we were so excited about how well he was playing and, and hoping that he could do it for the entire season, but really it's not it, it's not going to happen. And we need the senior. We need C.J. Cooper to be that guy, not Omega Harris. Omega Harris is going to be great. He's, he's, and he's still going to come off the bench and contribute and play well and be a spark for this team. But the consistency needs to come from the seniors, from the leaders. They need to take over these games and, and lead this team. And we've seen it these last few games. We've seen it over this six-game winning streak, and it needs to continue if we're going to win Saturday and next week against you know Louisiana Tech. It's just the leadership. You know, it really it, that's the biggest thing. I wrote about it. I talked about it with people off air, or whatever. It's the leadership of this team, and, and it's a, it's a big time deal. I, I go back, you know, I hate I always hate to bring stuff on me or, or you know past experiences, but I go back to my high school baseball days where we were a really good team. We had a lot of talent, but we had no leadership. We had no damn leadership, and that really hurt. And, and you saw it. You can even go back to last year where you know the, the, everything went down, shit hit the fan, guys were suspended for gambling, whatever it is. But John Bohannon stepped up and was that leader. He was that guy. And we're seeing these guys come together as a, a, a threesome. Sorry for putting out a sexual enduendo there. But it's a threesome of leaders that is really just doing their job as far as being there. Good looking out on the tissue. I should have told you to bring me some more. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it's just a leadership factor. And you see it going in. And really, I'm going to come out with a story tomorrow giving, it, uh, giving Floyd and the staff credit, too, because these guys have really challenged them. We've talked to Ken DeWeese. We've talked to Floyd on many occasions. We've talked to these players where Floyd has challenged these guys, where Floyd has sat down with each and one of these seniors behind closed doors, you know, gloves off, whatever, and man-to-man and, and really challenged these guys. And we're starting to see that, you know, just kind of gel in Floyd. I mean, he deserves, I just give him a lot of credit. No doubt. No doubt. You know, look, and, and I'll be the first to say that I was doubting Floyd midseason. I'm still not sold. I'm not going to say I'm sold. I'm not going to come around and say, oh, we've won six in a row. Floyd's the best coach around. I'm not going to say that. I'm not saying he's a bad coach or anything like that. But where was that challenging when when we should have had it early on in the season? 
Or, or better yet, when where was that challenging when he was anointing this team as a top twenty team? Yeah. That's the losses that we had recruiting-wise and blah, blah, blah. That's fine. I understand it. But you start losing games early on, and this is since the probably the first game of the season. Uh, and, in fact, I'm just going to go back and take a look just, just so I can be on point. Maybe the second game, all right? So we beat Washington State pretty soundly, but you look at even that New Mexico State game. We were down double digits to that team, okay, at home. And, and we had to come back, fight our way back, and we pulled it out at the end. But when you start playing like that, you know, and, and it starts to become a trend. You're not gonna, you maybe didn't notice it against NMSU, but all right, Princeton, you should have had them easily. You know, that should have been a game. I was at that game. We should have been up 15 points, 20 points. And instead, it was 10, it was 9, it was 8, it was 11, it was 7, it was 8. And then all of a sudden, it's a four or five point game at the end, and we have to sneak it out by six, you know? And, and, you know, and then you, you move on, you beat Xavier, that was a great one, but then Washington, you know, we had we, we had the slow start. Colorado State, we had the slow start, and shoot, we had the slow start. And it just starts to become a trend. And and to me, that's when that team should have been challenged. That's when when, when what's going on right now should have happened. Because it was your resume building opportunity exactly. at that point. Exactly. And and it just kind of lingered and it just that trend it just kept going and it just kept going and it went into the Arizona game and it went into the Kent, the Kent State game and Louisiana Tech and it's just you know, really up until this six game win streak you you saw it every almost every other game or every single game. I'm just wondering where was that before? Why are we why did it take twenty plus games to finally figure it out? That's that's a really good question. That's a legit question to even ask Floyd. Um, you know, or any coaches, you know, because, I mean, the, obviously the talent was there from the beginning, you know, and, and it, you know, I, I, like, just like I said at the beginning, it's better late than never. Of course. But, I mean, those were key opportunities. I mean, talking about Colorado State, a team that's, and that, I mean, should be in that large, even if they don't win the Mountain West, even though San Diego State is surging in that conference, too. You know, you talk about a New Mexico State on the road against eight New Mexico State players, against four New Mexico State freshmen, you know, a game that we had were up by nine with about whatever it was, nine minutes left. I mean, no, just opportunities that slipped out of their hands. Bob Cantu talked about it on, on Sports Talk today. They just stubbed their toe, you know, and I think at this point they're kind of over it. But, I mean, that's a legit question. It's a legit argument if this season doesn't turn out the way we want it to. And, um, you know, I, that's it's a good point. And going to the Twitter sphere over here, we got our boy Lutet Minor. Uh, with a pretty good take here. I, I like the one three one better when Matt is in, and that's the defense that we've seen Floyd use a lot with Matt in because, you know, he's a guy that can come out on that wing and he can pressure. And, you know, most of the time you see Omega kind of guarding the baseline. But, you know, and on Matt Wilms, it looks like he's about to be back soon. There's a lot, you know, he tweeted out a couple of information, uh, some valuable key information for guys like us. We have it up there on Minor Rush where he shot around yesterday. Uh, Bob Cantu talked about it today where, you know, Matt wants to come back this weekend, but it's looking like the LaTeX game is more feasible. So on the note, and we talked about this, we've been, this has been kind of our main topic is, you know, like with a guy like Cooper Vip, the way he's playing in this in the six-game streak, and, and if Matt Williams comes back, you know, on his role where he was getting that, I mean, we're talking about, you know, this team coming around not only health-wise, but down the bench with Hooper Vin, and even a guy like Blue Stallworth, who had four minutes but showed some confidence, had a nice jumper in the lane, didn't really hurt the team, played great pressure defense down on the baseline right in front of him with him and Omega. I mean, this team is really, really starting to gel, and it's kind of the opposite of last year, where we at this point, you could tell the fatigue was setting in. Yeah. You could tell the pressure was kind of getting there. But this year is the opposite. This team is peaking to that level where – it is supposed to be La Tech and UTEP in the conference yeah. and, and everybody else behind to me, them. To me, the La Tech game will say everything, and I don't mean to look past UTSA. Well, I can because I'm just a fan. But, <laughs> you know, the team shouldn't be looking yeah, past right. UTSA. But, you know, the La Tech game, again, we should beat UTSA. I'd be extremely disappointed if we lost to UTSA. So I'm moving right. on from that one, um, the La Tech game will say everything that we need to know about this team. If we can go out and beat La Tech on the road, which if you would have asked me before the first time we played them, I would have thought it wouldn't be that tough to beat them because of their lack of depth. But as it's, as it's turned out, you know, we've kind of switched spots. If you look at them now, they're finding a little more production off their bench. They're finding a few more minutes off their bench, and they've got a deeper bench than we do at this point. But with Hooper coming in and with Lou, you know, if once, um, sorry, once uh, 
Matt Williams gets healthy, now we've got a true eight-man rotation with Hooper in because he's going to have that experience now. Before before the, the Williams injury, Hooper was an afterthought. Yeah, oh, he, yeah. he was a, a maybe, you know, you get two, three, four minutes from him here and there. Something. If you need him because of foul trouble, he gets 10. But now you can truly put him in and be confident in him, you know, to, to pick up a few boards, maybe get a couple buckets for you over a, a good 15-minute period. So, that is, is going to be huge for this team moving forward. And if Lou can kind of come into his own and give them that as well, which I'm not sure if he can or not yet, but if he can, then that just adds another dimension to this team. But, again, the Louisiana Tech game is going to say everything we need to know, need to know about this team because, for me, that's the only game that's even in question at this point. And on you know, my angle of this, which we're going to get into later in the Conference USA Power Ranking, we're going to find out about La Tech this weekend. That's true. Because it's got a tough yeah. ass roadie this weekend with and, Charlotte. And in and my Old opinion, Dominion. we need them to win. Yeah. 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 I, I, I would, of course, as a homer of all homers, I would love for them to lose two straight games. But you got a good point there because what we're going to get into in the bubble talk. And, I mean, it, it's very, very important. But, I mean, this weekend's game, I, you know, it, it's it's a game that you shouldn't lose. But, I mean, UTSA has been playing a little bit better. They've gotten – Big-time production out of a guy like Kajborn Sherman, who's averaging 11.7 rebounds per game now. You know, him and, and, and Jeremy Hill are going to present some type of challenges regarding the post, and this is a momentum-grabbing game. I'm hoping there's 10,000 in there, maybe 11, maybe 12. I think there will be. I, I think so, too. I really think that the, that the team, the city should respond and embrace this team. There was a lot of hype at the year. Yeah, they went through some slows, but together and this is exactly what Floyd wanted this is Floyd envisioned before the season started and you're seeing it um I think our advantage in it we I don't know maybe we've said it a couple times but I think our advantage big time is the guard play in this game yeah I think you know their bigs can kind of cancel out our bigs that they're scoring but I think our guard play they have one good guard in Keon Lewis who's been on a tear recently I think he's back back to back 20 20 point games then he was conference USA player of the week but with the way Cooper's been playing well, like you mentioned, how Morris has scored, but he needs to be more efficient. Julian Washburn and Morris defensively throwing Irvin Morris or throwing uh, Omega Harris, who had a great defensive game uh, against Old Dominion. I mean, that is where this game is going to be won because they're going to go inside because they're going to attack. You know, they shoot more free throws than their opponents. Are they? Yeah, they shoot more free throws than their opponents make. I mean, they're just a, a very attacking team, but they're throwing it more to the block. So I think if we can cancel out their guards and force their guards out more and and, and kind of just like the co I would hear uh, Coach Johnson say, oh, we don't want to get put, uh, post touches on you know the other team, don't allow that. I think this is the game, just like you said, that we should really control, win by 12, win by 15, you know, be able and just let a guy like Keon Lewis kind of dictate the game. That's what they're going to live with. And, um, you know, that's going to set the tone for this big-time game against La Tech. And really, I just don't want to see any drop-off. I don't want to see any confidence drop-off because this team is playing with confidence that we have not seen from a Tim Floyd team in the past couple of years other than that last, that last year eight-game win streak. And this right here is one of those, I hate that damn word, but trap game. Yeah, no, you know, no. it could be, but I just really think with our guard play, the way that we're getting production out of CJ and Julian – on both ends of the floor, I think we can be able to frustrate their guards, force them into turnovers like we did last time. And, I mean, it's hard to hit free throws in the dawn if that's their plan to come in here and try to hit free throws against us. You know, I think, first of all, I will say that UTSA has found some some um, playmakers, some consistency in guys like Jeremy Hill and Keanu Lewis, like you mentioned, who, who had 23, like 21 and 25 or something like that. Uh, Jeremy Lewis averaging almost 17 and I'm sorry, uh, Jeremy Hill averaging almost 17 and eight or something like that. Uh, so they they found that, but I don't think they're they're a team defensively that can hold the miners with all the weapons that we've got. And we saw that in game one where we beat them 73-55. And I know that they got in a little bit of a stretch, a little bit of a run there. And even I kind of bought in for a second. But when you truly take a step back and start to think about the okay, right. exactly, but <laughs> you know, not just that. It's like. Who, who did they beat? So they won at Marshall. They lost to Western Kentucky. They beat Middle Tennessee at home, which, in my opinion, I've never been that high on. And, and yeah. we're starting to see now that, you know, they're a they middle, they're, they're, yeah, they're they're really middle of the pack team. And, and another middle of the pack team is going to probably beat them on their home court, which UTSA did. So not that that's, you know, not a good win for them, but it's nothing to write home about. Uh, you talk about they lost to UAB. They, uh, they beat the, the Florida schools, which is a great little stretch for them. The ODU win was big, but we're also seeing ODU struggle now, and and that's starting to 
you know, they're, how, they're how, six on the road, I believe. So how good, good of a win is that, you know? And then when you see them lose to Charlotte, who's been struggling, and not only lose, but Charlotte from start to finish just rolled them. Yep. And I know it was an eight-point game, but they had no answer defensively is my point. And when you go and put up 89 in your own gym, that's – that's, and we were worried about Charlotte's offense, and exactly. we held them to under seventy exactly. points. So, so looking at it, I mean, look again. It could be one of those trap games. It's not a team that you want to overlook. They've got the playmakers in Hill and Lewis, but I think this game should go a lot like it did the first time, especially oh, if you yeah. can get ten or eleven, twelve thousand. I don't know. We're gonna get a sellout, but ten or eleven thousand in there. You know, it's gonna be loud. It's gonna be an environment that that UTSA is not very comfortable playing in, and. Again, there's no reason there's no reason for us to lose. And I, I got a simple homo remark. Keon Lewis ain't getting 20 points on Julian Wasburn. I'm He's sorry. Not. If Trey Freeman did not go off on Julian Wasburn, that right there is just a minute and say, you know what, UTSA, I'm going to have to play. Everybody's going to have to come out and score 10 on us because it ain't just going to happen with Keon Lewis or, or, or just Jeremy Hill. They're not an extremely great rebounding team either. So I think, I think that's when we struggle the most. Is is when we get out rebounded, which happened a lot early on, and that's how we struggled early on in conference play. But um, I think I think that's the biggest key. They're not an extremely good rebounding team, and so I think that's going to help us as well. And like you said, Julian Washburn is going to shut Lewis. Maybe not shut him down, but he ain't going to get no twenty points. And and again, even if this game is closer than it was the first time around, I still think it should be a double digit win. Um, either way, I, I I like the fact that we have tomorrow off. Oh, yeah. It gives us a nice little rest. We get to prepare for Saturday, come out, play that game, and then you got a huge week next week as we've been talking about. But um, let, let's let's continue a little bit. Let's let's move on into that bubble talk that we mentioned. Um, I hate that that. Okay, so in years past, that I mentioned this on one of the threads. Conference USA was always, always, always hated on, disrespected, you know, not given any credit for anything, and always considered a one-bid league. You know, when I say always, at least since, since I mean, 05. 05, pretty much. It was Memphis, and then it was everybody else. And every now and then you might get on the bubble watch or something, but for the most part, we've been a one-bid league. And and what, what, what was most frustrating to me about that was that Conference USA had in a 12-team league had six teams at one point in the in the top 100 in the RPI with other teams you know right on the fence maybe we just needing a, a couple bounces their way a couple wins to, to sneak into the top 100 and still we were considered you know below the Missouri Valley and this and that, all these other conferences and and I just didn't understand it and so I want to take that same approach this year and say well how are we still only a one bit league but the truth is. Look at the resumes. You know what I mean. Look, look at the resumes. We have no teams in the top one. Uh, I'm sorry, the top 50 RPI, and the the highest rated team in the RPI is Old Dominion, who is completely sliding. It, it's hard to argue with with that. I mean, I, I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not sure what to say about it. But the resumes just aren't there to make an argument for this to be a multiple team, multiple bid league. However. When you look at the bubble and you look at, at teams that are on the bubble, teams like Boise State's, like uh, I think Tulsa's right there. Yeah. I think uh, you know UCLA. These teams that are, especially UCLA, I think is like fifteen, 15 and 10, ten or something like that. You know, so you start looking at these teams, you start realizing, well, hey, they lose a couple games, they're not guaranteed to get in, and and we win a few games, and now we can start getting into that conversation because you know uh, an eighteen and seven UTEP team would probably get overlooked by a sixteen and ten UCLA team. But if you're talking 18 and 13 UCLA versus, you know, a 25 and 8 UTEP team, there's a lot more to, to consider, yeah. especially with the way we've seen UTEP play. I know they've got the bad losses, but you talk about, about the way they played against Arizona, the way they played in the in the tournament out in L.A., I think that that could start to make things interesting. I'm not sure if it would be enough to, to, to give us an at-large, but the whole conference, when you talk about bubbles, it, it's got to start – First of all, we can't worry about the rest of the league. It's basically, in my opinion, I don't even think Western Kentucky has a shot at this no, point. So it's basically Old Dominion, Louisiana Tech, and UTEP. And I think the only way it's going to happen is if two of those teams win out. Obviously, UTEP and LaTeX play each other. So, I mean, somebody's going to lose there. But, but that can be the only loss. And I think whoever loses in that game, would ha- they would have to face each other in the championship, and the opposite team would have to win. I think that's the only way that this conference has an opportunity to get two teams in. And not only that, but the three teams you mentioned, one of those teams 
has a has a, one of those teams owns both of the two of the two top fifty wins yeah. in, in the league in, in Old Dominion. Like you said, who's sliding? So it's I well, mean, you tip as a top fifty win. What are you talking about? Washington. Xavier. Talking about That's right. Xavier, uh, some, which I was surprised to see. But, but Xavier, I believe, is in the top 40, if not even 30. Let's look at this. Xavier's ranked number 32 okay. in the nation. Okay. So that, that's a big win for them, for UTEP. But So then we have the highest rate, and we'll be to you where they're, they're looking. UTEP, yeah, that's the biggest win right there at ECU. And that's why, you know, I wish La Tech was in Old Dominion spot oh, with, the way, yeah. with the way that the, if oh, they would have yeah. had those wins because La Tech is playing so much better than Old Dominion mm-hmm. right now. And and it, it I almost again I wish this, the those two were flipped but they're not so I think we just gotta hope and pray that Old Dominion can find it and put it together and make a run and and maybe beat UTEP in a close one in the conference championship obviously we want to win the tournament but I'm saying short of that I think the only thing that we can hope for is 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 Old Dominion putting it together winning games all the way through the conference tournament and we lose in a close one to them I think that's our best bet at, at being an at-large. That's probably it because, I mean, there's, like you said, I mean, I'm just disappointed in, in, in I'm disappointed in Mike White a lot, Tech, because, I mean, this team is kind of, he, Floyd, Floyd scheduled for this year. Why didn't Michael White do that besides going just to Syracuse? I mean, there has got to be some type of trend in this league where you know what you're going to have in the next couple of years, so schedule a couple of big games, even if you're going to take a loss. You know, get just get some type something. I mean, La Tech, we were dogging on the schedule early in the year, straight dogging on it, bro. And I mean, it's. It, I think that that I mean that's the only way. I mean, we can talk about it. Coach, I'm pretty sure Coach Floyd can give us a whole podcast on conference scheduling because I sure as hell don't understand. I, mean, I guess I can kind of stand now that I'm. You know, you're teaching me the RPI a little bit more, and I'm starting to get exactly how it works when he's talking about those bottom feeder teams need to you know need to do their part. But I mean, I, I think it, I mean you're right because you go back to those days where it was either Memphis, Houston maybe, UAB maybe, or, or UTEP maybe. Yeah. And now it's like you look down here and, and in the next couple of years, I mean UAB. Well, you know what, what the worst part about it is? We're talking about this, you know, these us and La Tech or Old Dominion possibly becoming bubble teams or whatever. But if you look at the projections right now, most have. Conference USA's league winner, their auto bid as a 13, 13, even a 14 seed, which is crazy to me. Like, that is nuts. And I guarantee you. Tulsa was a 12 last year. And I guarantee you, whoever is, if that were the case, if, if, if CUSA were to end up with a 14 seed, you know, whoever was that three seed that would have to play them would not be looking forward to it. Like, if it was La Tech against, I don't know, who, who would be a three seed right now? North Carolina, maybe. You know, La Tech, North Carolina, that's – I'm not saying that's the worst possible matchup, but that's a that's a tough yeah. 14 seed right there. That's no Northwest, Southwest state, yeah. you know, for the blind or whatever. So That's a legit. That, that's, that's, that would be a, a tough out for anybody. But, oh, man, I, I hate I hate having FIU so and FAU in your conference. <laughs> that's another thing. That's another thing. I mean, look, when you add numbers to a conference – as far as basketball goes, it, it doesn't help it. No. It doesn't help it because if you look at it now, we've got, I think, I, I don't know the exact number. I want to say it's either six or seven teams that are ranked 220 and lower in the RPI. One, that two. just completely drags you down. And, and the worst part about it is the way the RPI is calculated, you don't get credit for beating somebody ranked 260. You just don't. I mean, it, it might help you. It doesn't hurt you, but it, it it's not going to boost your RPI. Now, if those teams were ranked 97, 42, whatever it might be, you know, if you had those those better teams, then it helps everybody throughout the league. And it, going back to what you're talking about with Louisiana Tech and their scheduling, I mean, it, it's up to the to the people on top of this league, the UTEPs, the LaTex, the Old Dominion, whoever it might be, to schedule tough, as tough as possible, like we saw from UTEP. You know, with, with Louisiana Tech, the only game you had for the first month, month and a half of the season was Temple, you know? And it wasn't until mid-December that you see uh, Syracuse and, and, and NC State. But other than those three games, I mean, that's all that they played. And that just can't happen. It just can't Four happen. Four out of UTEP, the last five wins will probably be, will will be with teams with RPIs of 200-plus. And 
lot of text to me. I, I mean, I, I pretty much the way I've always looked at it. If you're 65, and I mean, even though what is it? You, you're in that top 30, top uh, top 30 between 30 and 35, you get the automatic big. But I always look at it. If you're out of that top 50, 60, I mean, you're in. There, it really doesn't do nothing, just like you said. And I mean, it's it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I think that scenario where you're talking about old Dominion getting on a roll and playing close games, even if it, even if we're on the opposite side of the bracket of them, and maybe like a team like LaTeX has to face them, maybe that'll help. But I mean, it's just it's a shame when a team like LaTeX has that talent that they didn't go schedule out a little bit better because they had they had a team to go out there and possibly not. And what's off. even more shame is. I can't really. I mean, UTEP did the same thing, but I guess I should say more than anything. Not, not it's not a shame that La Tech lost, but that that the league just couldn't come up with those big wins, man. Yeah. Outside of outside of Old Dominion, who beat VCU, we just we we let we let so many opportunities. Charlotte had a lot of opportunities. I think Charlotte beat Miami early, right? Or somebody beat Miami. Was it Charlotte or Old Dominion beat Miami? No. They, what did they beat? Where they lose twice? I thought they lost twice, so real close though. Either way. So many, so many opportunities slipped away from the conference. When you talk about that first game with Louisiana Tech at Temple, where they were winning for most of the game until Temple just outlasted their six-man rotation or whatever it was at the time. And then Syracuse comes down, two-point game. Uh, NC State, eight-point game. I think Louisiana Tech was winning in that one as well. They were. You know, and obviously we've, we've talked so many times about what happened with UTEP, but Oh man, dude, just it, it's very, very disappointing to see that man, and um, and that's why we're at where we're at right now with with the league being pretty much a one bid league with an NIT CBI league. I hate to say it. Man. I hate to say I it, but it's that is damn true. Bro. I hate to even think about it. Let's uh let's start closing up, man. I know both of us are a little sick, and this has kind of been a rough episode in a sense, but. Um, Conference USA basketball power rankings this week. Louisiana Tech re- retains their number one spot, and UTEP, the big mover, up from 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 number five up to number two. And I know uh, somebody in the thread talked about, or just made a simple comment. He was like, "Funny, UTEP moves up, you know, that three spots. All of a sudden, they were, they were five last week, now they're two. And I responded with, "That's just that's the league. Like that's oh. that's the way the league's been all year long." Up and down, up and down. Like, you expect them to win. You expect this team to be on top. And then all of a sudden, we're losing to, to North uh, Marshall. Or uh, was it La Tech losing to – no, Western Kentucky losing to Rice. La Tech – Western Kentucky losing to Rice and Marshall. So that's the way it's been. It's like, what else, what else can you say? I mean, I think the top two are set in this league. I think that's the way it should have been from the beginning. It took us a while to kind of shake it out. But I think that's – I don't think there's any question about the top two in this league right now. So my question for you is we get into the three, four, five with Western Kentucky at three, Old Dominion coming in at four, UAB at five, all within about 11 points of each other. Actually, we had a tie for fourth with UAB and Old Dominion. Who's your contender? Who's your pretender out of these three right here? You know, Fletch Topper uh, came in the comments. My boy. And, and um, asked about, you know, what we thought about, about, Western Kentucky, and and I, my response was that I was very impressed with them coming into into the league. You know, when they, when they were coming into league play, when and they with beat their, Ole, Ole they, Miss, they beat Ole Miss, and they came back from from a double digit deficit against Ole Miss, if I'm not mistaken, and they fought hard against against uh, against uh, Louisville, both literally and figuratively. You know, <laughs> yeah. Montrez Harrell and and I can't remember if it was Fan or who it was that got into a little scrap there, but you know. They impressed me with that run, and then they started off league play on a hot streak, and, and you, you were buying in. But when I see them lose to Rice, and when I see the way they played against UTEP, where our F game, our F game, and I think we might have even mentioned this last week, you know, I, I just, I completely sold them. I completely sold yeah. them. And so to me right now, Western Kentucky is, you want my honest opinion? I think Western Kentucky, Old Dominion, and UAB are all pretenders, man. I think the only two teams that really have any opportunity to make any noise in the conference tournament and, and into possibly the NCAA or the NIT is, is UTEP and Louisiana Tech. I think they're the two that really have the athletes, the coaching staff, the 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 benches. The I, I just think those are the two best teams in the league, hands down. And I'm not sure what to make of the rest right now. 
I hear you. I hear you. No, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go pretender with West Kentucky and UAB, but I'm gonna buy Old Dominion really? just because their ability to defend, just because their ability to defend, and Trey Freeman can score. But I mean, Julian Washburn kind of exposed him. If you get up in his grill and you get up in his shorts, it's kind of hard to shoot a shot. But that's the only team that I, I agree. I agree with you on West Kentucky. I think they're a two man show, the best two man show in the league. Don't get me wrong with Fat and Price, yeah. but that's not gonna win nothing. And then. You got UAB, who's – they've been hit or miss. I think they were just kind of rolling on, you know, just a young team finding an early stride. But to keep that consistency, we're seeing a veteran team like UTEP being able to maintain that and sustain that. And then we're seeing the team like UAB going through, I guess you can call it some some growing pains here. But Old Dominion's ability to defend, Old Dominion's ability to kind of punish you inside with their bigs if that's how they decide to dictate a game, that's where I think they're uh, – on the cusp of being a true contender, but that's one team that I would buy to be a contender out of those three. You know, I, that I can't disagree with what – I guess I should say I, I do disagree. <clears throat> Beginning of the season when they knocked off Richmond, who's not having a great year, but it's still Richmond. It's still a decent win. LSU, who started off the season pretty strong too. That's a good win for them. Obviously the VCU win. Um, William & Mary is also a big win. I know that, that it's just it sounds like who the hell William & Mary <laughs> But uh, William and Mary is actually leading the is it the Colonial that they're in is that yeah Colonial but well, I guess they're second in the Colonial but you know th- those are all those are all good wins in non conference for this team even Georgia State I think is having a pretty good year um, but but when you start coming into conference play and you look at what they've done they haven't beat anybody inside the top six teams no. in the in the standings true so. That's why I just I gotta sell on them, and and especially now when you're coming off back-to-back losses against UTEP and UTSA, which obviously UTEP isn't a bad loss, but UTSA it really is. That was if a horrible loss when you were in the 30s. Exactly, the exactly. That it's just a game you shouldn't lose. And so because of that, because of and and UTSA is actually uh, one of those teams that the top six in the in the conference standing surprisingly. But but regardless, you know when you haven't picked up a top win in conference against any of the top teams, it's hard to to actually buy into what you're selling. I agree. I just from what I saw from that athleticism, what they showed against UTEP, there's that chance. But I mean that's where I'm not ready to thrust them fully in there. But if I had to pick out of any of those teams, I think if I had to pick, I I would still I'd give it to Western Kentucky because of Fant and Price. But really, again, I just think. I think the winner of this league, in, in as far as both regular and conference title, I think will be UTEP and Louisiana Tech. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I don't think – I mean, obviously there's always a chance somebody else wins it, but I think that, that's where those winners will come from. But it's like the preseason. <coughs> don't tell me I'm getting you sick because I'm going to feel like a – No, man. I, no, no. I've, I've been getting sick. It's but been going around. It's just uh, – anyway, let's, let's keep it going right here. <laughs> UTSA comes in at number six, and – their their little win streak came to an end. I dropped them down. Uh, I didn't have anywhere to drop them, in my opinion. You know, like I, I dropped them behind Rice because they lost to Rice and they lost. I, actually, I, I bumped up. That's right. I had them. I think I had them eight. Actually, I think you're right. I think I did have Rice six and UTSA seven. I think I did. But either way, in the rankings they come out, UTSA six, Rice number seven, who's nine and fifteen, but. Rice has picked up a couple big wins lately, man. I think they've won three or four in a row now. Is that right, or am I mistaken on that? I, I gotta check that. That's a team that I gotta sit down and watch to see this transformation. And, and are they, is it are they hitting their threes, or do they find a defensive stopper? Because I mean that that is pretty impressive what they were able to do. I mean, you look after that UTEP loss. It seemed like that may be a loss that could have damaged them being able to fight back. And then, since then, it seems and, like they've they won three in a row. Not only. And this is, I think, this is why I did put them at six. This is why I put them at six. Not only have they won three in a row, but they beat Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee, and UAB. And Western Kentucky, I believe, was undefeated in league play at the time, or only had one loss. That was their. They were six to zero at home. So, so, so you know, Western Kentucky, they they knocked them off their perch. UAB is hot and and you know rolling through through town and then Rice beats them and, so. U- and UAB was up nine in the first overtime against Rice and they fought back to force that double overtime that's impressive so you know those are those are some big wins by Rice and even though they still are only nine and whatever it is on the season um, that's just crazy man <laughs> they're nine and sixteen and they're number six in the conference and they're six and six <laughs> oh, they're at five hundred. 
Oh man, but and they can go two games over 500 this week with the F with the Florida school. Oh man, Middle Tennessee comes in at number eight. That's why you're sick. <laughs> they got a tough week this week with Marshall, who's playing better as well, and West Kentucky. Uh, Charlotte comes in at number nine. Stop me if you if you have anything to say about these nah. teams, man. I mean, I know Charlotte it had that big win over UTSA. Well, I say big, but for them it was just kind of like they finally broke the out. The fr- yeah. yeah, you know they they they. they They've been looking for that game where they put it all together, and they do, you know, at UTSA, putting up almost 90 points. North Texas comes in at number 10. They've got the Florida swing this week. Marshall's at 11, even though I think I had them a little higher. FIU 12, FAU 13. Southern Miss still sitting at the bottom seven. But they got a dub. Yeah, they did, but they got Old Dominion and Charlotte this week, and Old Dominion needs a win bad. Old Dominion needs a sweep bad, not just a win. So so Old Dominion, I think, is going to put it together against Southern Miss, which they should. And then Southern Miss has got Charlotte. And I think Charlotte's going to be just licking their chops, thinking, man, we, we got to put up a hundo. I think at this point for Charlotte, because, look, Charlotte is a very athletic team. We've talked about them all year. At this point, it's really about finding as many wins as possible, getting as high up in the in the, the standings as possible. And that way maybe they can have some more favorable matchups early on, you know, and then and then see if they can make any noise in, in, in the conference tournament. But, um if they if they continue to, on the pace that they're at right now, they're going to end up somewhere in the bottom four, or three of the league, or, I'm sorry, four or five of the league, and have to play maybe a Western Kentucky or somebody in that in that I guess quarterfinal round is what it would be. So NPR Henry was was sewed up with a back injury, so I mean that's that's the oil that greases their engine over there. So if that if, that, if that's going to be a big key too in the next couple of weeks, getting him healthy for them to make a run, but that would be right maybe right next to Old Dominion for me would be maybe that third or fourth option if you're putting a gun to my head and tell me who your top four and coming in that tournament. But my top four right now is Drizzy, bro. Is he coming out past I don't know. I had no idea. I just refreshed the Twitter page and see ABC7 reporting Drake not performing in El Paso. Ah! But, hey, oh, but Yusef is working to book the concert, so. Uh, I mean, not that I care anyway. I'm just saying. He's going to have a bunch of snapbacks and tight shirts. But that's just, let this get out of personal opinion. And this one, I think, um, I mean, it was still a good show, but I think we're kind of skidding to the finish here. Both of us are running out of tissue and and whatnot. Hot drops. You guys know where to find us. Uh, minorrush.com, Gmail, uh, sbnminorrush at gmail.com, twitter.com. Flash minor rush. SBN minor rush. Whatever, man. You know what's that? <laughs> Get some rest, bro. Get some rest, man. We'll catch y'all next the week. Rush podcast, we'll have a better man. show with a bunch of info on spring ball coming through. We try to break down uh, projected our depth chart. We haven't got one yet from UTEP, but to see what we can get on for y'all next week. Might have a special guest for y'all NFL minor. Maybe. Oh, 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 or two. Or two. Who knows? All right, guys. Peace. It's been fun. It's a wrap.